Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comets Tale podcast with Ty and Caitlin. And today we're coming to you with some comp- contemplations that we hope, feel have been supplied by the recent spicy new moon in Aries, some fiery insights that we wanted to share with you all. Um, in particular, the themes, to just lay them out firstly, that we'll get into over the course of this episode, um, firstly deal with um, a concept that has been crystallizing for Caitlin, um, which is the archetype of, of a menace and being a menace and claiming menacehood for herself and Menacehood. what we might learn from <laughs> from <laughs> becoming our best by first being our worst. Um and in tandem with this, I'll be sharing some thoughts I've been having on the experience of solitude and on solitude as a reality that we all have and share and exist in, and also solitude as a portal to a really powerful kind of liberation. Um, I think these two concepts blend pretty well, and we thought we just would bring them together for an episode today. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about menacehood and what this term menace for you has meant and how it's come about for you? Isn't it rich? <laughs> <laughs> I immediately okay. spit up my drink. It didn't even make it in your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> that was an act of ministry. Mm-hmm. Is an act of surprise ministry. Um... Jesus, it's everywhere. Well, first I want to say, I'm a lot like Joker <laughs> from the movie Joker. <laughs> um, this idea of ministry started for me upon watching the film Joker, actually. Um, but it didn't crystallize until uh, I was recently on a camping trip with Taya and another friend, Um in which I was describing an action in which I was a menace. And that word just really, really stuck. Yeah. Um, also, it's very windy, so if there's any weird noises that you hear, it's because the trees are, like, they literally, like, cannot be still. Um, <laughs> um, but that word really, really caught on um, mm. that weekend and, and since of... What does it mean to be a menace? The word, first of all, I love the word, the way that it, the mm. mouthfeel of the yeah, word menace totally. is very good. Um, and I have been kind of volleying back and forth with Ty of what is being a menace and what what is not being a menace. Um, and so I, I guess we can start with talking about what is ministry? How does one become a menace? And what doesn't necessarily count as being a menace. So this idea of ministry, um, it kind of has a bad connotation. Mm. It kind of has like a, an, an evil maybe connotation. <laughs> um, like, for instance, we were talking about Dennis the Menace, where he just mm. harasses his elderly neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also has like, uh, I don't know. I like to look at it in the way of like this kind of lighthearted, ironic, yeah, yeah, ironic play of choosing to be totally true to oneself regardless Mm. of outcome and 
also of what people think of you. Right. Well, it's an agent of chaos is what I see a menace as, but it's the operative word there is agent and agent of chaos, not just like Mm. being a hot mess and just kind of not having control of like the messiest parts of you. But, well, maybe you don't have control of these, what I'm calling the messy parts of being a person, but you do have control to say yes to them and to approve them and to just allow them to be. And I think that then is a kind of agency in, in menace, chaos. Um, yeah, and I also think that it's, it serves an end. Because I think you can be an agent of chaos without really having a... Like, like I just said, it, it's regardless of outcome, but it's also like a little bit dependent on the that it'll be a better situation because of the ministry mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. the outcome isn't dependent on it but i think there's this still this idea of um agents of chaos are agents of chaos and they don't really care about an an end but mm-hmm. i think being a menace there is the end of being true to oneself through being <clears throat> totally and um vulnerably and messy, unapologetically unapologetically messy mess, and yeah. you know could be gross could be mean right. could be unsavory could be unpleasing in whatever way but the end that is met is a little bit of mischief a little bit of <laughs> fun I was thinking of the it, intro to Mambo number 4 <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of, <laughs> a little that's, bit that's of mischief of in my life. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think it just, as you were speaking, it made me think, like, if you want to live an authentic life, that comes at the price of being in people's way. It comes at the price, like, that's just true. Like, you're going to be so discord. If you're really, you know, interested in living authentically, it means not holding anything back. And because you're not holding anything back, you are going to be in conflict with the will of other people some of the time you're going to be in conflict with your own will or your own kind of the story you told yourself about what you should be doing what you need to be doing um and so it might look like you're sabotaging yourself you're sabotaging others um and i think also like there's so much baggage like that we just carry around from from our families from how we've been educated from maybe religious teaching that we've acquired over our lives that says this is good this is bad stick to the script of good stay away from the bad script and things will be fine and in a limited way sure perhaps but i think it really asks us like this idea of being a menace really asks us to question well what do we even mean by quote unquote being good in the first place good for who good to what end what is good is because I think, you know, insofar as you're being quote unquote good just by playing by the rules, well, maybe that's that's a very shallow interpretation of good because being good actually inquires your own kind of ethical and aesthetic interpretations of things to, you know, come to discover through experience and through probably making mistakes along the way of what actually is a good way to inhabit myself and a good way to relate to others and to myself um to really know that you have to be 
willing to be quote-unquote bad or chaotic or messy some of the time i think part of it too is not only being authentic it's being sustainably you because Mm. i think my reaction of being a menace or like what has turned my tides to ministry um i was just explaining this to someone else the other day where i and I'm sure, like, a lot of people can relate to this, but I consider myself kind of, like, lightly to be a recovering people pleaser mm-hmm. where I've been, quote-unquote, <clears throat> good for so long by putting people's needs over my own and by putting, you know, um, peace, peacemaking, by putting uh, just general pleasantry above everything else and being a menace means saying no (laughs) no more that like that doesn't mean I can't be nice that doesn't mean I can't Mm. be quote-unquote good but it also means that I'm not scared of being bad because it's not bad right it's being true it's being real well an example I was thinking of that I had mentioned to you was like as we're approaching Easter, I think this in the Bible was on the kind of eve of Christ's uh, crucifixion. But it is this episode, and I don't really remember what precedes it, but basically Jesus goes into this temple that is, you know, a place for... Supposed to be worshipping him. Right, you know, for his followers to, to gather and to have kind of a place of peace and solitude and... Um, togetherness and he goes in there and he realizes there's a bunch of these like bureaucrats and these taxpayers or tax collectors doing their deals sales capitalism has infiltrated his temple and so he goes in there and he you know flips over some tables and yells at people and basically says to them like get the fuck out this is not what this place is for this has been designated as a holy place for for people to to cultivate love and to cultivate you know good blessings and good tidings basically and you've now just desecrated this space that has been devoted for that and so jesus you know he incarnates anger and he incarnates some real rage and some real chaos obviously just telling these people off and destroying the place and running amok but you know i think that point is that that's the only way that these people could have recognized that they were in the wrong they couldn't have you know taken some kind words that wouldn't have done anything it took Jesus saying, no, I'm going to, in a way, compassionately express myself by incarnating something that these people will recognize so as to get them to really reflect on what they've done. And I think that, you know, ministry, like, it almost implies that there's an audience to me. Like, Mm. you're acting um, deliberately towards the person or the situation that you're kind of embodying some more of your menace um, energy with respect to I think it's only seen as ministry ministry because there is an audience mm-hmm. or a society rather and that brings us to the film Joker I think in a really um interesting way of you know you just said these kind kind words from Jesus Christ would not have mm-hmm. stopped his from temple. Jesus Christ himself from Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also just Becoming... walked in on Caitlin uh, <laughs> dancing and singing to the uh, soundtrack from Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I know the whole fucking <laughs> play is absolutely ridiculous. Um, murder me, murder me. Um, anyway, but 
that's also kind of in line with this whole ideal of like I mean this is a, another thing altogether and it could be a whole different conversation but like this idea of like the only way that revolution is going to happen is by uh I won't say violent means only but like what what is it, like well, you have to challenge like, the status quo right right um, um and Arthur what's his face Fleck I think yes um embodies that in the film Joker mm. um so I watched this film a couple weeks ago um and you just watched it so I'd like to hear your yeah. thoughts we haven't talked about this movie at all um we've saved it to record it so uh, what are your thoughts on the movie joker well i was just thinking firstly that joker is a real infinite player he's creating his own rules and not by it starts out in a very accidental way like he things are not going well in his job as as a clown (laughs) um his he's having some family issues and is uh has like some sort of mental challenges and is you know, mentally ill and experiencing mental illness and is on uh, medication but then the government says actually we don't care about you guys so just go on just raw dog it out there and so he's he's not in a, he's not in his best he's not living laughing and loving he's well he actually is laughing but it's like a cry laughing that he does um he actually is laughing but it's mental illness <laughs> it's because he can't it's because he can't cry um so Joker is a real, he's a real predicament is what he is. And he's like, uh, in the world having like thrown him by the wayside. Um, and, you know, we hear this, there's also this the kind of foil to Joker is this um, big name bureaucrat who's says, wow, Gotham City is really screwed up. I want to repair it. And all these poor, lowly people, they should realize that I'm helping them. And then I do care about them, even though I've ripped the funding out of their feet. You know? Are you talking about um, the TV guy, Robert well, De Niro, or Thomas Wayne? Thomas Wayne, okay. yeah, him. And and so Joker basically comes to this point throughout this movie where he he realizes, like, wow, there's nothing to lose. There's nothing supporting me. So I can just nothing be a man unto myself. All. Nothing. And so he becomes, like, this outlaw, and... Um, in doing so, he comes to just live by his own accord, setting his own rules, and, you know, with no intention that this is going to create a movement or that this is going to really change the system, but just because he's doing it for himself in service to himself. And yet, you know, this inspires a whole kind of class of the city to to sort of follow suit. Um, and he, I guess the critical moment to mention is that he kills, like, three people, like, three young men. Spoilers. His... Spoilers ahead. <laughs> if you have not seen the film Joker, you need to before you listen to this episode. <laughs> yes. But he kills these three men in the subway who are, like, harassing this woman and then him. And he's like, I am just sick of this. So he, well, actually, it's out of self-defense, but also, yeah. like aggression and outrage yeah. like because they start it beating starts him up. as self-defense and then it turns into yeah then he then he's, he's, he's he sees himself in the mirror he's like hmm, that's an interesting look but anyway he kills these men and so this sort of sets the city into an uproar on behalf of the kind of moral and legal majority who are saying oh this is such a tragedy but really like the common people are like yeah this is a great thing like uh three less like of these like you know bureaucrats who don't care about us these finance bros they're finance bros yeah (laughs) totally um 
And so he doesn't intend to, like, do any of this, but he just finds himself in this situation and then realizes, hmm, well, when I no longer abide by the the rules or the kind of, yeah, the status quo of what is, I've been led to believe is correct or good or responsible to do, when I no longer do any of that, then I actually tap into this this whole like reservoir of power and like agency and just kind of capability that I hadn't even known to be there because I was told it's forbidden or in that I was told to forget about it to begin with. Cover um, it up with medication. Right. Cover it up. Dominate with it, suppress it. Yeah. With, with generational delusion as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And he, like he starts he starts his ministry with the killing, but then he goes to, he stops taking his medication and, you know, for better or for worse, you know, obviously killing people is generally bad. Um, but you see him, I fucking also, I love Walking Phoenix in this movie. I just love him. And, also, very side note, but he also played Jesus in a recent movie mm. that I watched called Mary Magdalene. It was never released in theaters, mm. um, but I'm gonna. I watched it pretty recently, and I'm gonna watch it again for Easter because it was just like him as Jesus and him as the Joker, and me watching mm. those in not in tandem with each other, but like pretty re- like uh, close together time wise was fascinating. Mm. Because you see, you see him lean into this ultimate good, quote-unquote good, as Jesus, and then you see him lean into this, quote-unquote, ultimate bad as mm. Joker. And it's just really incredible where he's like, the moment where he's like, I'm, I'm done taking my meds, and he fucking dyes his hair and, mm. like, paints his face, and then he dances on this fucking stairwell... Yeah. Just like, and he he's leaning into it, like he's there, like he he is becoming realized, you know, as a villain, as a classically recognized villain, but also a menace. You know, it makes me think also how the ministry complicates this binary of like good and bad. It shows that there's there's a place where the two meet, you know, like, and I think that's actually really interesting that he was also Jesus in this other mm-hmm. film that you know, someone we presume and and have labeled and deified as, you know, ultimate good, the incorruptible, pure human example of a human life, right? Versus this of an ultimate villain. And I think ministry implies almost becoming amoral. That is like just setting aside morals, which, you know, are more or less just a script that we've received that is not our own, you know, that that has just been implanted in us um and that we have to really question if we want to like i say i think enact a kind of meaningful presence in the world and one that can maybe you know be a contributing presence of some sort and i think also ministry implies to me that again this kind of kind of false dichotomy of good and bad uh that these two sort of flavors of things complement each other and, and you don't have one without the other. That there's and that ultimately they're the same thing, or they're just, you know, different sides of the same kind of paradigm. Different sides of the walking phoenix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want the uh 
the the sun side or do you want the um clown paint and green hair dye side isn't it rich (laughs) (laughs) um hmm. ministry so what are what are the things in joker that besides leaning into this villainry what else what else does he do to you that makes him a menace and because i mm. i looked at him or like this was before i had latched onto the word menace but i could feel this of just like i'm becoming the villain mm. and i like the word menace better because it's not so it's not so di- like dichotified right. i right. guess dichotomied where villain is like super bad connotations but menace is like it's it's the the straddler right it's, how do it's you the go nomad. about quantifying good and evil that's a tiktok sound the poorly poorly well, I, I'm, quoted uh, but i'm thinking of how there's this um sort of moment later on in the film where you know joker who's you know is this anonymous kind of pariah basically people he's almost like the the anonymous mask guy like you know or like banksy just some sort of like a somebody who's a nobody but anyway people start wearing these like clown masks around the city and i think and he doesn't he he just paints his face he's not wearing a plastic mask to sort of conceal himself he's he's still in a mask but and yet his his true self is is there too the the mask is not in conflict with the true sense of who he is and i think to be a menace is also to be uh, like an iconoclast, like someone who people copy, but who a menace is not is not themselves copying anything. They're stealing things, maybe, but not copying anything. They're they're creating themselves, and and being a menace is a way of self creation that, um, is self instigated. I guess I would say, um, it's almost like to, menace. Like there's kind of a sharpness in the word itself here. It's almost like playing with fire. I'm thinking of like, um, oh. Who Icarus, I think, in you know, in mythology, who, you know, no, it's um, it's the P guy. Icarus the P guy. is the guy who flew too close to the sun. Oh, Prometheus, Prometheus. yes, I, yeah. Icarus also he gets too close to the fire, to the heat, and you know that's his downfall. But Prometheus, like you know, to be a trickster, to steal the flames, that requires that you're you're giving the middle finger to, to the rule book, right? And like an infinite player, you're saying, mm, I'm going to write my own things. Uh, mm, I'm and about that... to paint my own face. <laughs> mm, I'm about to dye my hair motherfucking green. And I... necessarily that incurs a lot of outrage. Kill a bunch of people and then let my, <laughs> let my dwarf friend go. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, that's a great scene. With a kiss. <laughs> horrifying um, but so good right well he that's a great scene too where he kills this guy who kind of ratted him out and stupid bitch guy who yeah who gave him a gun right. and then pretended like he was he got him fired for having the gun and then he kisses his other like ex-coworker who he says you know you were the one who was always nice to me and i'm not gonna kill you because yeah. of that like and i'm gonna i'm like there's no reason for mm. There's no reason for me to be to be mm. leaning into my dark side towards you because you've never done anything wrong to me. Right. And I'm not just letting you go because it's the, the right thing to do. It's because that's how I feel. Yeah. I've asked myself, what is good here? 
And I'm enacting that. I'm not, you know, because he's already done the deed. He's already yeah. killed another guy in front of that <laughs> man's face. Like, um, um, but I think that's really my favorite scene where we, towards the end, where we see Joker as kind of just the leader. He stumbled into a kind of leadership that he never intended. Um, Do you think he never intended? Well, with the people following him. But finish your thought on the now. That was it. Like, okay. We just see that how he's... He's amassed something that was never his intent to, to amass. Um, he's he's shifted something in the world, having only ever wanted to just be free unto himself. That, but also that was already there for the rest of the world. It just needed a face. Mm-hmm. It just needed a direction. It needed it needed a clown mask or it needed a, a figurehead. Right. Because that that unrest was already there. It just needed a point. Mm. I think also this theme of, like, insanity, too. Insanity and kind of another dichotomy of, like, sort of laughter or tears or kind of happiness versus sort of suffering. Um, you know, as we mentioned, he's 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 mentally unstable and has that's kind of something he's inherited from his mother. And, um, but really, and so you're kind of led into this film thinking, wow, what a crazy figure, what a crazy eccentric weirdo. But over the course of the film, you really see, no, actually, it's this world that has this veneer of normality and this veneer of um, uh, of sensibility that is actually the... It's complicated as to whether is that insane or is he, or are they both just different manifestations of insanity and of, of non-sensibility? And I think, you know, in the kind of this kind of fool figure, this clown figure... He's literally the fool. You see that sensibility and real wisdom emerges through... Um, inanity mm-hmm. um, and also as we mentioned like he can't he, we never see him cry he always he, he laughs instead of instead of cries and so uh, it's just like there's a lot to say there I think about um, I don't know what we might call like a limit experience like to make this a little bit more philosophical for a moment I'm thinking of the philosopher George Bataille who talks about this idea of of a limit experience experiences where um the kind of um, the limitations or the 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 boundaries of sort of human experience and human possibility are revealed. So, for example, tears are kind of the the excess in response to a, a big sensation. Right, we don't have enough to process a big sensation, whether great happiness or sadness or just the encounter with beauty or the sublime. And so, that gets transmuted through tears or through laughter or through this kind of um, uh, eruption of self in a way. Um, and so a menace like an outlaw is really at the hinterland. He's at the, the boundary of this kind of, um, of the realm of what, what we usually stay within as, as what is known and, and true and correct and sensible. Um, and, but in doing so, it kind of existing at the boundary, he then incorporates something that was outside of it, brings it back and makes that possible for other people. It's now possible to, to question the government, to say no to the government, to denounce, you know, the kind of orders that be, that are corrupt and that are um, self-serving and um, elitist. He also, I really love this kind of story thread that happens where he's, you know, he watches this show with his mom every Mm. night and he imagines himself as an audience member at first Right. Being picked out of the crowd um, by, I forget the 
the TV host's name. I think Murray. Um, yeah, Robert Murray, De Niro's yeah. character. Murray. We'll call him Murray. Um, Murray. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he first is picked out of the crowd <clears throat> in a hallucination or a vision that he has um, where he's talking to Murray out of a crowd. And by the end of the film, he completely realizes himself to the point of where well through stand-up comedy which (laughs) in like the scene where he just completely is just totally bombing at this comedy (laughs) club and you just can't help but like I just love him in that moment. I just, I really truly love Joker <laughs> as he's bombing on stage. Cause you're like, you are so fucked up. Like you are so, you know, not what you do. Right. And yet you do because somehow you make it to Murray's show as a person who's on stage and being interviewed. Not for the reasons that not you for thought the, you would be yeah, there for. But he but, makes it there. But nonetheless, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> he shoots him in the face. He he kills he kills his god. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> yeah, he, he is an outlaw to the extent that he has killed. He comes to murder the very <laughs> entity that he idolized, this comedy big name, because he realizes that you're nothing. You were all just in my head this whole time. Yeah. All all the great attributes about you, that was just me making you great to begin yeah. with. And, and so and now, you're, and you're sitting and you're looking tr- the true me in the face, and you're laughing at me in a bad way. Right. You're not laughing with me. You're laughing at me, and I'm gonna shoot you in the fucking face for it. So he becomes his own creator. He becomes his own god. He becomes the kind of originator of himself. Yeah. And <laughs> I wonder if the creators of this film ever like intended for this to oh, be read sure. like as such. But it had, I mean, yeah. Why not? Is a menace? I think a menace belongs to, to themselves. That's what a menace is. Mm-hmm. I think a menace is, if a menace is doing what you perceive to be something good or righteous, that's not because they're upholding, an external template that's been given them, but rather they're saying, this is what I've, what I know to be good, in in alignment with myself and in conversation with myself. And the only reason I might look good or bad to you is dependent upon the kind of script that you've inherited yourself. Um, and I think the provocation of being a menace is to set your own boundaries, is to create um, a system, a sense and a kind of um, uh, a sensation of what is good and true for you. And to have that be something that's self-referential and intrinsic as opposed to extrinsically yeah, supplied. Right. And it and it's messy. Mm. It's an undeniably messy process to do that. Right. And because society's template obviously doesn't work for maybe anyone. Mm. If it does, it's very few people. How do you find like it seems like the in being a menace, you no longer have the fear of like of consequences, as you said. But I think that's the result. But how do you get there? How do you come to a place? Well, maybe this is my own tie-in to my thought recently. And maybe is there more you want to say, or would you like to transition, or are you sure we can um, leave this in? Well, more? it's having the confidence and the gnostic 
truth in yourself to know that you are good enough. Mm. To know, to have trust in yourself that you, at least, you know, if you want to be a good person. I don't think that's everyone's goal, which is interesting. Because it's always been my goal, is Mm -hmm. to be a good person. But in, in incorporating ministry into my life and kind of thought process and kind of dance of boundaries and dance of friendships and dance of how do I want my life to look it's this trust in myself of I can afford to make these little snaps or these little uh Mm. bitter yeah little encounters because I'm worth it because Mm. I am good enough I'm good enough to afford them Mm. Hmm, that's interesting. Being bad does being bad momentarily for a good reason doesn't make me a bad person. It actually makes me a better person. Mm. It makes you good in a more profound way. Yeah. In a deeper, yeah. more layered way. Yeah. Well, so your idea of solitude and how this has been working into your life recently, how does this tie into what we're talking about? Well, I was just thinking about to be a menace is it seems that you're unafraid, right? It seems mm-hmm. that the result of really <clears throat> taking this provocation of ministry seriously leads to a kind of un- unafraid, unencumbered state. And I think it's because you realize that, you know, truly the only thing limiting me is myself or truly the only thing to be watchful of is myself and the prohibitions I make unto myself. Um, I guess I wanted to give some context firstly to this idea kind of was coming up for me a few weeks ago um, where I was just having this sensation of real, um, not melancholy exactly, but just um, a kind of heaviness. Um, And what kind of came up in my just kind of sitting with this was the sensation of just the inalienable and infinite aloneness and solitude that that I am in and that we are all in that is the condition of all of our lives and and it wasn't sad it wasn't like I didn't feel lonely necessarily in that it, it was a sense of aloneness but not loneliness it was a sense of uh, and it was a very big sort of sensation to drink in because of just how real and true I knew it to be in that moment and um I realized, you know, that in a, in a kind of this very embodied way, um, how, you know, my own will belongs to me alone. It doesn't belong to anyone else, um, nor does the will of anyone else belong to me. Um, and that I, like everyone else, am utterly vulnerable to everyone else. That if someone wants to really show up and meet me halfway and, you know, engage in a connection with me that is of their own volition and of their own choice and I have absolutely no control in deciding whether that's the case or if I do I'm acting under the, under the false pretense of coercing someone to be there and um I was also in a Taco Bell at the time and just like <laughs> drinking all of this in and like in this most you know great mundane uh, um fast food of places and this woman asked me if I needed a cup as I was like processing all of this and so there's this very funny interruption but 
But anyway, I sort of came to this realization. But she was she knew that you were going through it. That's the right. She? I don't think so. Oh, I know. I think she she had no idea. The way you described it to me was that she's like, you need a cup, then. <laughs> You need a cup maybe for those she, tears. Maybe that she you're was just that empathic that she did know at some level. Um, no, as far as like, I can tell, bitch, she didn't yes, know. <laughs> I need a cup. Um, Tarot tie-in. <laughs> the bitch of cups. <laughs> uh, the bitch of Taco no, Bell cups. She was, the, she was the queen of cups in that she, moment. Truly, the empress of cups. Yes. But anyway, in kind of like thinking about this and just sort of sitting with this further, I realized, well, you know, it's entirely my choice if I want to relate to this fact of this, this universal and inescapable fact of solitude as a source of loneliness and emptiness and hollowness and despair. Sure, many of us, we all do that at different points. But is it possible, I got to thinking, to relate to, to consciously and actively relate to the experience and the known sensation of solitude as something that is really filled with possibility as a source of abundance as a source of my own kind of sovereignty a freedom that can't be taken from me and a freedom that is utterly unique to me um at the same time i should also say that just as much as this reality of solitude is true and and deeply real so too is it that we're inalienably connected and relational that both are true at the same time and this is kind of the paradox to just that we all sort of inhabit is how we we only exist because there is a, a world that you know has conditioned that and because there are others and a, a bigger shared human history that has gotten us here and history of life that's gotten us here um but by the same token uh, or in the same way we are also the only ones sort of seated in our own conscious experience and so i think you know to think further this idea of menacehood through this i think menacehood is really this act of claiming that kind of solitude of claiming solitude not out of despair not out of sadness not out of hollowness but claiming solitude as this source of infinite freedom as a source of um access to yourself that no one else has um it's almost like this this idea has been coming to my mind also of like the fact that we are each our own singular audience member no one else you know is in this audience but me no one else is experiencing the kind of continuity of my life but myself others come into that and share in that in different episodes but the only one who is ever constant in that is me and really not even what i'm calling me because that's something that's changing all of the time and is deeply impermanent and is um always evolving um i was just thinking also to tie in another kind of stream of thought here of like this idea of like the persona right by persona i'm like drawing from jung's idea of the persona which is sort of this superficial mask-like projection into the world that you know each of us exists in the world as a kind of identity as a kind of limited you know self in all all of the facets of what identity can compose. Um and as Jung saw it, there's kind of this this arc in a life or the kind of greatest possibility of the arc in a, in a, someone's life can look like you know, starting from this point where the persona is unquestioned and it's just kind of the environmental product of all the beliefs and ideology and morals that we've been kind of instilled with. Um but as he saw, you know, this kind of idea of like an identity crisis or like an existential crisis then is like the breakage of this where we 
we realize how that's just been kind of implanted in us and is not really um, native to us. And then he says that the kind of the possibility that emerges after that is then to allow that kind of disintegration and that kind of putrefaction process to it to occur in order for then a new persona, a kind of ironic persona, a joker persona to emerge that is that wears the mask still, but knows that it's wearing the mask, knows that it has to show up as the mask and knows that it can also change the mask at any point and is also not committed to the mask in the same way that, you know, we might be if we're not really questioning the persona. Um, so to inhabit solitude is also to um, realize that you are the maker of yourself um, or that you are the one who ultimately gets to, to decide how you are, what you are calling yourself. Um, and even if that's being done very passively, you're still the one who's in, in control of that. Um, so it, it's also just a kind of... It's a very, it's a very, I don't know, just very hefty kind of thing to think with. Um, I don't know. Go ahead. So what you were just saying reminded me about this idea that we've talked about, not on the podcast, about um, showing up in situations and uh, egoically as an ironic actor um as of like you understand the limitations or like in this condition you understand your limitations you understand that you are wearing the mask you understand that um you are showing up and in costume in in costume in drag in performance mode um and it is part of you, but it's not you. Well, you have to be condensed somehow because yeah. we show up in bodies and as people. Right. Um, and we have to show up as a sort of shorthand. And mm. to tie back to <laughs> our queer episode, it's important to let yourself be known in communities as such using your body and your appearance as short code yourself as such code yourself go code yourself (laughs) um but yeah it just like that when you are able to do that and you use this egoic extension of yourself you can find community and find real things that bolster that Mm -hmm. but it's not you like the joker is not the joker because he dresses he wears, up yeah. because he dresses up and paints his face. It's that's because the of outcome. literally who he is. Right. That's just the you're just seeing the aftermath of the kind of internal brewing that's right. been going on. Right. Um, Which makes him, uh, at least in this film, an amazing villain. Right. Because it's like he's not just wearing a costume; he's becoming himself. Yeah, and he's a true villain also because he's not. He's not quote-unquote being bad with reference to what is good he has disregard for all of it yeah well and he you know his nemesis in in the universe in the dc universe is batman Mm. who is the kid that he goes and sees and he's just a child and he shows up at his house and he's like right we're brothers he literally he he's under that impression that they're literally we are brothers yeah we're blood tied Yeah. yeah 
I was just thinking also something else I wanted to say about solitude is how it's easy to inhabit your life thinking that solitude is something to be saved from that if only I had the right friends or partner or job or vocation then you know this this scary sad reality of solitude would leave me alone and I would be able to cover it up and lock it away and do with it away, do away with it forever and the truth is that even when we feel most connected even when we feel in greatest kind of rapport with people and with our lives that doesn't take away the fact that we're still in solitude um and it's because solitude isn't something it's not a problem to be fixed to begin with it's not a bad thing yeah in fact if you look at it like i was saying otherwise if you let go of that you know and that can look like a lot of things it can look like you know fomo right like Mm -hmm. being needing to fill your time with people and activities it can look like um just trying to fill that, revade that sort of sensation and relationship with yourself in all kinds of ways. Um, and when you let go of this idea that that's something that's to be avoided and something that's to be erased, I think what you then are turned over to is this sense that um, solitude is my own creative possibility and it's here, it's here irregardless of what I'm doing. It's here irregardless of how I'm situated in the world. And and it's also true for everyone else. Um, and when I recognize it as just being par for the course, I can then have fun with it. I can be this joker. I can be, I can be silly. I can be a trickster. I can be playful. I can be an infinite player by way of the, the tool of my solitude. You can use your empty house as a literal stage for your one-woman show of <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Today... My parents are gone for a short amount of time, and I'm left as head of household to take care of everyone. Everyone meaning the animals, um, and myself. You are I'm, an animal. I'm, I'm better at taking <laughs> care of the animals than I am myself. But today was interesting in my solitude because, um, well, I tried to work. I did refresh the page but there are no projects that I felt were worth it Mm. and I worked really hard on one yesterday so I spent the day watching movies and making sure the dog was okay and then I like I said performed a one woman (laughs) show to nobody of Jesus Christ Mm. Superstar didn't make it all the way through but it's something as I've been living with my parents that I'm wondering, and as I've lived with, you know, everyone else of who am I when no one's watching? Right. Who am I without the context of mm. someone, another human energy? Right. And, you know, there's this feeling of, it's it can be scary to think, well, someday I will wake up and there will be no one near me, you know, like in my house or... um hope I mean like that's my goal is to live alone at this point in my life and that's at at once really scary but also like I woke up today and I was just like mm. there's nothing interfering right like the the animals sure but that's that's not an interference that's just like that's yeah. just a, an amplifier an almost an amplifier <laughs> 
<laughs> Zane is my audience. Um, exactly. And so I just kind of did this day of like, I love seeing who I am without anybody. And I want to see more of that. And I'm at a point in my life where I want to see more of that. And it's, you know, for all of the annoyance and seemingly foolishness of looking for a place for me, for me and myself, solely in the fucking mess of a housing market... Mm. It'll be worth it because I show up for myself in this way mm. and I have a fucking grand time. <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm having a grand time all the time. Right. But, like, I've I've also thought about this quote a lot today. It's from one of my favorite films, Almost Famous, where this character, Penny Lane, says to, to um, William, she who's the kid who's reporting. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but... Yeah. Um, she's like, you know, and if you get lonely, you can always go down to the record store and visit your friends. Mm. And that would be my mode Mm. of, and I, it already is. It's like all like fucking when I'm alone, all I do is like, listen to me (laughs) and like engage with God in that way of just like the music flows through me and connects me to myself and my experience as a human on earth mm. i think that's really and important yes the fucking joker does that too he goes into this he has these weird dance moves that he does yeah those where, are beautiful scenes yeah where he's just like yeah. i mean he's not hearing any music physically but it's in him mm. he's, he's hearing his own something yeah he's hearing something yeah and he's in the bathroom when he like right after he kills those guys and then on the <laughs> on the <laughs> on the staircase where he's just like becoming and he's dancing to whatever music is inside him yeah i think that's a really crucial point that you raise like who am i or what am i irregardless of what's outside me you know it's just regardless right uh, it's just regardless regardless <laughs> Um, huh. I was thinking irregardless is like non-regarding. Really? Yeah. Okay. Now I know. Interesting. Because regardless is without regard. This is what you get editing uh, videos all day. Uh, no, that's just me, but. No, that's just me being a Virgo stellium. (laughs) Interesting. I'm glad to know that. Um, uh, who am I regardless of what's outside me? And, you know, it's never possible to answer that perfectly because, always we have a context but um where was i going this with this i think what you're saying about like yeah existing for yourself showing up for yourself realizing that there's someone to be in relation with there in the first place someone to satisfy there to begin with and that you have a part in you know you have a part in making a home in yourself um showing up for yourself in that way and actually i think this call like towards embracing and claiming your own solitude I don't mean to make that sound in any way like it's about just being like a loner and, and rejecting the world. It's actually quite the opposite. It's saying, I am going to really, you know, be with myself and choose to be with myself and choose that on purpose and choose it for its own end, just for the delight and the satisfaction of, of being with myself and being, you know, with all the possibility that that, that entails. 
And in tandem with that, what, what comes with that is then in turn a broadened relationality with other people, with the world, um, with the context outside of my solitude, because in having this kind of self-sufficiency, um, that is then something that is sort of recognized and something that is, um, I think comes in turns, comes in turn to, um, beget a kind of greater, greater forms of connection and being with, um, and you're not doing solitude. You're not choosing solitude in the interest of getting an outcome. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's a consequence of, um, inhabiting solitude in this appreciative and, um, interested way curious way well it's also just true and there's of course there's the cliche of like nobody can love you until you love yourself which is untrue but it's there's also a truth to it like where when you show up for yourself then people can show up for you better when when you have when you know yourself and you know your limitations and you have sat in your own energy for so long you understand what you bring to the table and so therefore Mm. you automatically have a better you know chance at relationship um but you're right it's not to that end it's just a consequence of embracing solitude Mm -hmm. yeah something I want to tie back to ministry that we talk about a lot is making, not making, creating a condition with which people are able to see you on your own terms. Hmm. And I think being a menace is choosing that above everything else of like, not um, showing up even like when you think you should. Right. Like, only showing up when you really want to, or... And by showing up, I mean a lot of different things. Showing up to a physical engagement, showing up to uh, an emotional conversation, showing up as in asking, you know, relating to people. It's you fully realizing your extent of what that will mean for someone, and what it means for you to mm. be able to give the energy. Mm. Yeah. Um this me what does it say? Yeah, and it's like, you know, you if you recognize me, it's not because I'm asking you to, it's because you just happen to. Um I think also there's also certain forms of care and appreciation and compassion that only you can extend to yourself. And that's the point, you know, no one we can't change the fact of our solitude and we can't change that for ourselves but nor can we change that for others or and and others can't change that for us um and yet there's there's also then the kind of togetherness in being collectively alone we're all deeply united by by our own singularity um that even singularity entails its own kind of connection to that end um also you know in in claiming solitude you then in turn realize or you're acting from a place of desire um you're acting because you want to do something you're showing up because you want to not because of 
Not because you're sort of yeah. hungry for something yeah, outside like of I you said, to feed you, I, to satiate you. you. should. Right. Um, because you're obligated. Because you Yeah. Yeah, desire versus obligation, I think, is something that, you know, emerges here. Um, and what you do with your solitude is entirely your own choice, is entirely, you know, your own creation and your own project. Um, I think that's just a very interesting question for me also, just more broadly. What does any one of us do with solitude? How does any one of us situate ourselves in that experience? And where do we go with that? Because we can go all kinds of places. You know, we can go just be, you know, upset and belittled by that um, and be kind of in this cyclical existence or it can kind of, you know, set that forward for, for some people. For other people, that's um, a catalyst for doing incredible kinds of work, whether that's, you know, artistic or, um, you know, political or like Joker, just starting a movement, you know, um, not meaning to, but, but maybe affecting something like that through, um, the, yeah, claiming solitude. Um, and I don't know, just to think about how that is, that is perhaps one of the greatest conditions of possibility that any one of us has at our disposal, if only we choose to recognize it in that way. So what are you doing lately to be a menace and or lean into your solitude? Well, I think solitude for me really has just been a style of, of asking myself questions to begin with, to say, what do I actually want to do with myself today? Um, or in this moment, um, simply for its own sake. For example, something like writing, I really appreciate because it's a very self-satisfying thing for me. Something that I do um, just because I like to do it, just because I, I've, it serves as an outlet that allows me to tap into my own creativity or thought um, and to just traverse that by myself and have fun with that. And then, you know, sometimes at the end of that, to have something to share and to offer, which is also a cool side effect of that. I wanted to raise also briefly um, that I think there's this there's another sort of term that's been arising for me alongside um, solitude is this idea of remarkability and being remarkable. And this might sound similar to our conversation about Arete, um, and I think it's related in, in some respects, but for some reason this word just sits differently with me and... Um, uh, just strikes me as being a little bit different. I think it's maybe more everyday, whereas yeah. Arete is this kind of like yes. godly virtue. Remarkability is something tiny, but um, what I mean by this is that when you're really existing um, securely and um, expansively in your solitude, what that in turn allows you to allows you to do is to show up with a kind of with an an abundance versus a scarcity kind of um, comportment to yourself, where you can then being satisfied in yourself kind of be like that like generous aunt almost like to show up just kind of being self-satisfied and just wanting to extend that to other people and not without any regard for whether that is then returned to you or whether that that is then recognized of you but just being so contented as the audience member unto yourself that then you can from that place um perhaps augment that somehow by by seeing if someone else exists in that way for themselves, or maybe for people who don't, extending some kindness, extending some just presence to them. Um, 
And I think remarkability is not just what you extend to the world, but again, it's what you extend to yourself in the most alone of moments when you're, I don't know, when you're, when you're making a, f- a meal for yourself, when you're just inhabiting your everyday life as a singular being. Um, it's something that happens all the time. It's not just something that you're performing. It's not just something that you're extending um, in search of some sort of return on your investment. Um, and I think that's really a test. If I can be remarkable unto myself and really appreciate that, then I know I'm doing solitude well. How are you doing this? How do you, you know, sort of like practice I said, solitude? I listen and like I listen mm. to music. I connect with all of that. Um, I think. Well, and I also just it comes with the delicious ability to mm. not be watched. Mm. And even though I was quote unquote performing today. There were also several moments where I didn't want anyone watching. I didn't. It was purely just, like, it was performing. But, like you said, to me as an audience member, to 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 play without having an audience. Mm-hmm. To, to play without... To, to realize my own capability and watch myself first and kind of stuff it away in Mm. my repertoire of like (laughs) oh so i have that going that's up my sleeve and i can give that if i want to exactly well only if i want to i don't but only if i want to yeah um that's i mean that's how i feel like singing is a lot like that of like Mm. bitch (laughs) (laughs) i'm i know i'm like pretty good i'm not like an amazing like once in a lifetime voice like Mm. so unique so lovely whatever but like i have a good voice and it's i don't i keep it hidden Mm. i keep it secret i keep it safe which in the last couple minutes i want to tie back to our alchemy of just like you were saying being a menace is kind of returning to this crucible state of what is it negretto is that what it's yeah called? the negretto or like putrefaction stage with this idea of decomposition de- decomposing and rotting away the old yes persona um i just um, wanted briefly to comment not that my singing is like a, in its rotting stage but it's this kind of this hidden thing that's like obviously i've been performing for a while in a group and i've done i've done definitely solo stuff as well in school um but it's like it's just my little secret Mm. it's just my little like my quote-unquote hidden talent or like Mm. something that's true but it's not it's not my livelihood right (laughs) that just makes me think that like solitude and the gifts that you give yourself through solitude i think are some of the sweetest gifts you Mm -hmm. can actually receive the greatest gifts you can receive are the ones that you give yourself if you allow yourself the permission and the the honor and 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 just the the promise of freedom unto yourself then you've already received one of the greatest 
um, gives. And it, there, there is this real quality of sweetness and of just um, deliciousness and delight in that. Just being able to delight in oneself unto oneself. Um, realizing that you're the one that can, you know, that you're not dependent upon anything else but yourself. Um, of course, you're not in full volition of yourself, but when you can sort of gather and amass um, clarity of presence uh, and, and then extend yourself to yourself, just the honor and the liberty of, of all the creativity and, creativity and all the possibility and all of the yeah, skillful performance that that entails, um, I really feel that that's one of the most delightful things. And so solitude, far from being scarce, is actually full of a lot of little treasures that are just waiting to be found. And that's a really nice note to end on. <laughs> Starting with this... <laughs> he was shooting people in the face and then it's like it's a delightful gift to yourself <laughs> do you have anything else i think that's about it cool thanks for listening to the comments tale i'm sure we'll have more on ministry in the future and these ideas as as we all know this is a building process mm. but thanks for listening <laughs>